just start right off the bat this morning and ask you a question. How many of you, let me just give you a test. How many of you, if you're honest with me this morning, you like rules? You are a rule keeper. Just raise your hand if you're, you're some of you are like, I don't know. You, you like the rules, okay? How many of you, you're like, man, I just don't like rules. Rules just are, how many of you are like that? Okay, we're, we're pretty balanced in this room. So good, we're going to have a good fight that's going to break out today. Um, so so let, let me give it, so here's the thing. Uh, some of you, when, and this is how you know you're a rule keeper. I, I can give you the best test in the world. You know that you're a rule keeper when you go into the grocery store and you see this sign. Okay, so you see this sign. You know what I'm saying, right? And you're there and you see that sign and you're standing in line. You rule keepers. What is the first thing you do? You count the bit. Now, some of you are so bold as you'll tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me. You got 11 items there. I just saw you pick up that pack of gum. You were good at 10, but then you picked up the pack of gum. You went over. There's a line for you over there, okay? Now, here's the thing. For you rule keepers, you wish the sign was a little more detailed than just this. Let me give that. You wish it was this. <laughs> Am I right? Because, because those 10, yeah, some of you rule keepers, those 10 items, like, that sign's not good enough because it does not stop people from putting 10, 12, sometimes 20 items. Some people bring their whole grocery cart in there and they're thinking they're getting away with it, right? So you want this. So here's the thing. And then some of you are the opposite. Some of you, you're like, man, rules are made to be broken. And so maybe you were the person that when you heard the rule, you just, you just, you just, you know, you wanted to break it. You just, you know, no trespassing. You say, I'm going to trespass. I'm going to go, I'm going to cut through here because I don't care what that sign says. So, and, and, and so maybe uh, you were that person that, that abided by all the rules and, and you wanted to make sure that every single person was abiding by that rule. Now, when I was in elementary school, um, I went to this school called Seneca Elementary School in Irondequoit, and it was an old school. And the cool thing about Seneca School was that it had this huge stairway that went up to the, the second floor, and it had these really cool banisters that you could slide down. I mean, you could fly down these things. And as a fourth grader, this was a boy's heaven. But there was a rule in the school that you couldn't slide down the banister. You, you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't slide down the handrail. And I'm like, it's just like, it was tempting every single time. So what we would do is before school, before, you know, when the teachers were in, their cla- in the classrooms, we would just slide down uh, the banister. We would slide down and just have a blast. And uh, how many of you know you always got that one kid in your class? That's the rule keeper that's going to that's gonna narc on you. And sure enough, we had this one kid in our class, and we we're sliding, you know, sliding down the, the stair rail and having a blast. And he would go up. We had a teacher named Miss Ray. She was the coolest teacher in the world. And Miss Ray, uh, she, what I loved about Miss Ray is she just understood boys. She, she, she got boys. She was good with boys. She, she got it. So we had the one kid in our class. I remember one time, Miss Ray, Barnsley down there. Right? And then she would say, she would say, okay, you know, that's fine. All right. And Bart, let me just talk to you after class. I'm like, oh, great. So I'd, I'd come up after class. And I remember one time when, I, the, when that same kid just 
knocked at me again. Um, she caught me after class, and she said, um, she goes, she was barred, and you know what the rules are. And I said, yeah. And then she winked at me because she knew I was going to do it again. She's just the nicest teacher. She just got cut. She didn't, she didn't punish me. She didn't make me, you know, write on the block. I'll never slide down the ranch again. I'll never slide down the ranch. And see, there, there's something inside of us that, that, that maybe you're married. Maybe in your marriage relationship, you've got the one person who's the, the, the rule keeper, the other person who's not the, the rule keeper. There's something about keeping rules that make us feel good about ourselves because, because if we're honest with ourselves, um, rule keeping can make us feel righteous in some weird way. If, I, if I'm, a, I'm a good person, if I just keep the rules, and maybe you were brought up that way, you know, hey, if you keep, you know, that's a good girl, Susie. If you keep the rules, that's good. Good boy, John. If you keep the rules, that's good. That's good. And so the issue is this. When do I get to the point in my life when I feel good enough? It, it, it's, it's like that game. I don't know if you guys remember when you were little playing the game green, green light, red light, where you have this one guy. He's like the, and everybody has different versions of games. I get it. But you got the one guy who's, who's the, 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 the police and he, they would turn their back and they would say green light and everybody would run. And then you say red light and you had to stop. And if, and if, it, and if you were moving when the person turned around, they would have to go all the way back to the back of the line. And uh, that's kind of the way we feel like we, we break a rule or we mess up. And then we feel like, man, I got to go all the way to the back of the line. Here's, here's where we need to be careful in our lives, because this is where we can feel in our lives. We feel like we've blown it. We've messed up, didn't keep the rules. And then we go all the way back to the beginning. And it can be this battle of trying to be good enough. Is God pleased with me? Am I doing enough to actually please God? And, and we can tend to see Christianity if we're not careful is a bunch of rules that I have to keep. And if we're not careful, it can become a prison that we actually can lock ourselves in. So what I want to do is, for the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, I, I want to I go through the book of, of Galatians. And, and I, I want to look at the question of how does Christ set us free? How does he set us free from being good enough? How does he set us free from from others' opinions of us? Somebody say amen. That's a tough one for a lot of people to overcome. What people think about us. How does, how does Jesus set us free from religion? How does Jesus set us free from my, my works? Trying to do enough to please God. And really look at what true obedience is. And Paul does an incredible job in writing this letter to these churches that were becoming bound by works because of false teachers. And so what I want to do is I want to dig into this letter by Paul. He wrote it to a group of Christians who were at risk of trying to gain God's acceptance by what they did and not completely relying on God's grace that made them accepted by him. So I want to, I want to look at the first 10 verses of Galatians. And if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'll be reading out of the NIV version. Uh, you can look at the screens, look at your phones, whatever you got. Let's look at it together and let's see what Paul does as he starts his letter to this church that's struggling with works and trying to be good enough and listening to, to some false teachers who are leading them astray. So Paul, an apostle, so we know it's his letter, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace 
to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. So Paul's not mincing his words there. Verse nine. And as we've already said, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what, was, what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Not only did he say it once, he said it twice. So Paul, right off the bat, this isn't less cordial. He means business here because this church is, these churches are being led astray. He goes, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen to God's word. It's interesting that there's this phenomenon that can happen uh, when someone has been incarcerated for a long period of time. And, and what happens is they get so used to being on the inside that they have difficulty functioning on the outside. And, and, and they are, they're told on the inside that, 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 you know, you, you, you're told when to get up. You're told, your whole life is, is, is just, you're told what to do, when to go to bed, when to eat. Life is driven by someone else. Um, the, so when they are free, when they are set free, they, they, sometimes they don't know what to do. They, they, they are set free, but they don't know how to live free. They're set free, but they don't know how to live free. And there's a word for this institutional syndrome. That's the word for it. The word has many meanings, but we can apply it here, this institutional syndrome. Uh, there are those who actually work with those who have been in prison for a long time, and their job is to try to help them to adjust, to acclimate them to the outside. And so this is what they say. This is what many say that have worked with those that have been incarcerated for many years. And this is what they say of prisoners who, who are now free. They say the challenge is how not to live in prison. That, that's really the challenge they have with working with those who have been incarcerated for so many years. The challenge is for them not to live in prison. And that was the exact challenge that Paul had when he wrote to the churches in the providence of Galatia, which is Asia Minor. I actually have a map for you up there so you can kind of get Mediterranean Sea. You can kind of get an idea of this area of Galatia that Paul is, is preaching to. You can see... Uh, Greece there and Crete and the Mediterranean Sea and kind of get a, a visual of where he's preaching to and he's teaching and he started these churches. So this was the challenge of these churches in the providence of Galatia, which is Asia Minor. Paul, what he does is here he starts four, uh, in, in four different cities in southern area of Galatia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Um, he's starting these churches. We, we kind of get an insight of, of, of what Paul did here. There, a side note here in Acts 14, 19, tells us that, that Paul was literally left for dead in Lystra. And that, in fact, Timothy, uh, who, who Paul discipled, uh, actually is from this city. And in, and in Lystra, they, 
basically stoned Paul almost to death. They prayed for him to get better. He does. Then Paul keeps going, hikes 60 miles to Derby and keeps preaching. I'm just telling you, Paul was hardcore, hardcore to the max. And, and then he goes back, goes back to, to these cities that literally persecuted him. He goes back to all these churches and, 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 and begins to reiterate what he taught them from the beginning. I mean, Paul was committed. In fact, they say that the estimated travel that, that Paul did just on land, not even on sea, was close to 10,000 miles. And probably most of that he walked. So, so Paul was committed in spreading the gospel and starting these churches. So he had this invested interest in these churches. So when he hears that there's some false teaching in these churches, this, this does not make Paul very happy. And so what was happening is there was those in these churches who were teaching this false doctrine about salvation. And, and instead of helping people find freedom in Christ, they're actually putting them back into chains. And so what Paul does is he establishes these churches. And only a short time later, you have these false teachers that are infiltrating it. And so Paul writes this letter to correct and admonish these false teachers. And this letter was really only written a few years after the death and resurrection of Christ. And so the tone of Paul's letter is a letter of concern. He is not happy and he knows what's at stake by those being pulled away from the purity of the gospel message and the grace which saved them. In fact, when he says the word deserting, it's an interesting word here. It's actually a military word that we see in verse 6. It not only means to abandon, but it actually means a changing of sides. Actually changing sides, pulling them away from the, from the very gospel message that saved them. So what's happening that, got, that, that, that gets Paul's attention? And he writes with such a serious tone. Well, when he says some people, some people have perverted the gospel message. They're, they're corrupting the message. They're adding to it. And it's not pure anymore. And so what did they do? Well, these people that Paul is talking about were actually called Judaizers. Uh, They taught that in order to truly be saved, there had to be a mixture of your faith in Christ, but also works. There are things that you have to do in order to truly be saved. Namely, following Jewish customs, one being circumcision. What they wanted to do is they wanted the Gentiles to first submit to the Mosaic law, and actually become Jew, become Jew in a way, and then come to Christ. And then come to Christ. Not, it's grace that saves you first, completely by Christ and Christ alone, but it was, you have to do this first, and then you come to Christ. And that's where Paul is adamant against these false teachers. You can't be a proselyte, of this Jewish conversion and then say, well, then that now you, you can now become a follower of Jesus Christ. This became a mixture of grace and works. It's Jesus plus Jesus plus rules, Jesus plus the law. And so what, what, what we have to understand is Jesus actually came to fulfill everything in the laws requirement that we couldn't fulfill ourselves in those rules. You broke one of the 16, 613 laws, you broke them all. There's no way we could fulfill that. So Paul knew that this type of teaching was going to lead people back into this prison of trying to keep the law that they could. That's the very thing that Jesus came to set us free from. Amen. So Paul refutes this and says, this is not the gospel. 
This is not the message by which you were saved. Paul, being Jewish himself, says this is not the message I first brought to you. So we need to define what this means. And so I want to look at what, what is religion? What, is, what does that mean? Let me, let me define this because I think this is what can trip us up in this rule keeping and trying to please God through our works. Where is the balance? Where is the balance of, yes, I need to live a holy life before God, but it's, it's, it's not my self-righteousness that causes God to love me anymore. It's, it's Jesus's righteousness that is in me now that causes me to love God. That was really good. The last two seconds there was really good. So listen, listen, this is where we can stumble because we start off good so many times in our walk with Christ. How many of you know, like you, you came out of some rough backgrounds some heavy addictions and you know that it was Christ that set you free. And then all of a sudden someone sidles up next to you, right? And says, you know what? Your hair is a little long. You need to cut that. In order to go to church, you know, you better start wearing a tie, right? And then all of a sudden you start saying, well, yeah. Oh, well, okay. All right. Um, Hey, are you chewing gum? You chewing gum? Oh, they're chewing gum. Going, oh, oh, don't chew your gum. It's okay. Um, all of a sudden, we're like, whoa, 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 you, 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 you chewing gum in church? Hmm. Hmm. Do you see where I'm going here? All of a sudden, that grace that sets us free, all of a sudden, someone comes up and sidles alongside and says, you're not doing it the right way. I remember my dad told me one time, he prayed in a group of some, some believers. There's people getting there, he was praying. Someone said to my dad after his prayer, they said, wait, wait, you didn't pray the right way. You got to do this, this, and the other first. My dad's like, oh, okay, I didn't know there was really a right way to pray to God the Father. I'm sorry if I didn't. You know, he didn't say that because my dad's a nice person. And he wouldn't say that, but I would have said something. No, I'm just teasing. Right? And then, so, so someone sidled up and said, you, you, you're not doing it the right way. And all of a sudden... There's this prison that people can put us in. And the freedom that saved us to walk in the joy and the freedom of the Lord all of a sudden becomes burdensome. So let's define religion this way. Religion can be defined this way. It's man's attempt to please God and earn his favor by working hard and being good enough. So let's just, let's just define religion that way. Because that's not what Jesus came to bring us. He didn't come to bring us another religion to follow. It's man's attempt it's man striving to get to God. It's the, it's the latter illustration, right? Every other religious system is man's attempt to try to climb up the ladder and reach God through their works. Where pure, the pureness of the gospel and the pureness of Christianity is not that at all. It's actually God coming down the ladder to meet us where we're at, to bring us up to him. It's a good illustration right there. If you want to explain that to somebody, you can use that yourself, okay? Because it didn't originate with me. But you can, you can, because that's, that's the mentality. We've got to do something. Every other religious system is, is all about man's attempt to hopefully reach God in their works by everything you do and don't do. Where pure Christianity is just the opposite. See, this is the mistake that many can make about Christianity is, is it's another religious system of do's and don'ts and rituals that you have to obey in order to go to heaven. Cause people say, well, isn't really, let, let's be honest. 
Christianity is really basically intrinsically the same as every other religious system. No, it's not. Here's the reason why. I'll give you one word. Ready? One, two, three. Grace. Grace. Grace separates it all because it's nothing that I can do. There's not another religious system that teaches grace, that it's not dependent on you. It's, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. Amen? It's grace. It's grace. So true Christianity is about having a right relationship with God that can only come through Christ. So here's the thing. Jesus did not come to bring another religious System, another religion. So let me, let me clarify. Let me clarify this. Here, here's the reason why. We can't be made right before God in our own efforts. And, and this, is what, this is what these Judaizers were, were, were speaking to these believers. That now it's like, okay, it's Jesus' faith, but now it's your own efforts too by doing this. It truly makes you a follower of Jesus Christ. And we understand that it can only happen through faith, by God's grace, not by me keeping a bunch of rules. So our acceptance of Christ is based on faith, not our good works. Our acceptance of Christ is based on faith, not our good works. Now, are we to do good works in Christ? You better believe it. Is there fruit that should be produced in our life through, through the heart-changing repentance by coming to God? Everybody say amen. If there's no fruit in our life, something's wrong. There's a disconnect with me understanding about God's grace. If God has saved me through his grace, I want my life to now be pleasing to God. Not that I'm trying to gain God's acceptance, but I want to be pleasing to God in how I live my life. Everybody say amen. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul understood the danger here and how these false teachers were trampling the grace of God. The next chapter in Galatians 2.21, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. It's Jesus period, not Jesus. Plus you got to do all these things. If that were the case, if that were the case, then I could barter with God. Couldn't I see, this is what I love about being saved by God's grace. Pastor Timothy Keller makes it this way. And I love, I love this. I love this. I love this. It just sticks in my brain. I love it because if I'm truly saved by God's grace, there's nothing that God cannot ask of me now. If I'm saved by works, then I can kind of barter with God. Can I? Cause it's part of it's me. Part of it's you, God, right? So let's just barter. I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. If I'm saved by God's grace, it's everything. I'm all in God. There's nothing that you cannot ask of me. Charles Haddon Spurgeon just great preacher in the 1800s in England said this. He said, the law repels, the gospel attracts. The law shows the distance which there is between God and man. The gospel bridges that awful chasm that brings sinners across it. Wonderful, wonderful. So what these teachers were saying, unless you do this, you truly aren't a Christian. And what they began to do is they began to write rules for God. So when do we cross the line? Because we understand that rules are important. So some of you rule keepers are like, man, this is, this is tough, pastor. What are you saying? That we, 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 we shouldn't have rules? That it's just all chaos, right? I like the 10 items or last line, okay? Where, we have to understand something important here. So, so where do we cross the line? Because we understand that rules are important. So it, it, it's a problem 
when we say you broke the rule and you're sinning and then we attach Jesus to it. Okay. So understand me clearly here is chewing gum in church a sin. Okay. Just, I'm just, I'm just asking. I don't know. Is there a wrong answer here? Maybe. Okay. You know, scripture and verse, scripture and verse, scripture and verse, scripture and verse. No, 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 no. There's no scripture and verse for chewing gum in church. Okay. So just, just everybody calm down. Thou shall not chew gum in church. The 11th commandment. Okay. So look, is chewing gum in school a sin? Okay. That's yeah, that's true. Ruth was raised in that nice, strict Catholic upbringing, right? In that Catholic school. Nice rulers. Those worked really good, didn't they? Okay. So here it is. You may have, you may have broke a rule, but here's the thing. But it's not a sin. Here's the problem. The problem is when we say it is. So there's a great example of this in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus ate at a Pharisee's house and he didn't wash his hands before he ate. <gasps> That's in the Bible, pastor. Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. Yes, he didn't wash his hands. He was making a point here. Okay, so he didn't wash his hands. And, and, and now let's understand something here. Jesus did this on purpose for a reason. The Pharisees, here's the reason why. The Pharisees equated washing your hands with some extra biblical tradition that they made up as part of their ceremonial cleanliness. If you didn't do this, you were Sinning. So let me read it for you. Luke 11, 37 through 41. So here it says, it says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. And so he, he went in and, and looked at his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. And then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees, this is, this is, uh, Jesus is, is good here. He says, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools. That had to be a great dinner conversation. That had to be just a wonderful dinner right there, right? Way to start the dinner off, right? Didn't. God make the inside as well as the outside. So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. What, what is, what is Jesus getting to? He's getting to the heart. See, here's, here's the thing that they're doing. They're saying, listen, you got to perform all these rituals and ceremonies, these religious works, and it became self-righteousness. But Jesus goes to the heart. See, if you didn't do these things, you were sinning. It had nothing to do with normal hygiene. It was, it, it was a rule that was made up to seem righteous. So can you just imagine the conversation? Here they are with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, hey, 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 what are you doing? We didn't see you wash your hands. You know, the Lord says that you need to wash your hands. And then Jesus probably says, well, I don't think I said that. See, how many of you understand that washing your hands is a good thing? Especially if you've got kids. It's a good thing, right? Washing your hands is a good rule. Now, now, kids are thinking after they hear this, man, Jesus didn't wash his hands. See, mom, Jesus did. It's biblical. Jesus didn't wash his hands. And you're okay, well, let's understand the context of this first. Washing your hands is good hygiene. Jesus was making a point. See, it's when we connect it to Jesus 
and say you're sinning if you don't. That's legalism. That's bondage. And that's a chain that can hold us in captivity and not set us free. See, how many of you understand we need laws and we need rules? All the rule keepers said, all in favor, amen, right? We do need, we, we need rules in schools. We need, we need, otherwise it would be chaos. We need rules for the highway. It keeps us safe. This isn't what Jesus was referring to. Now, I have a 16-year-old daughter who's learning to drive. As you notice, my hair is falling out at this point. Let me recommend to stay off the sidewalks, okay? Uh, so she learned to drive, and uh, I'm thankful for speed limits. I'm thankful for speed limits for my daughter because she is like her mother, Leadfoot Mama, all right? Uh, Kathleen went to NASCAR driving school. Uh, Ruth Brooks is an instructor there. If you'd like to have her teach you, she is an instructor there. Ruth, you've been out a couple weeks. I, we had a, we're glad Ruth is back. She's relaxed. We had to get back at Ruth. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What's the point that Jesus is really making here? See, they took it to the level of this is what makes you holy. And if you don't, you're sinning. And we're telling you that you're sinning. And Jesus says, you wash your hands. You wash the outside of the cup. But inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Washing your hands do not make you holy. It makes your hands clean, but not your heart. How many know we can fake it really well as Christians? Right? We can, we can say the right words. We could have the right style of clothes. Wash our hands. Praise the Lord, brother. Carry our big Bibles around. Right? Look real holy. But if Jesus doesn't have your heart, there's something wrong. And so what we end up doing is we create all these extra biblical things to tell people what to do and not what, what to do and what to do. And, 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 and meanwhile, if we're not guarding our heart, we tend to judge by people's outward appearance. And we need to be careful. We all do it. I do it. We all do it, don't we? See, see Jesus cares about our heart. Yeah, listen, listen. We, this, has, this has nothing. Jesus is saying nothing here about living an immoral lifestyle. We need to live holy lives before the Lord. But that is driven by the grace that has saved us. The more I understand about God's grace which saved me, the more it humbles me before him saying, it's got nothing to do with me because I am a stinking sinner. And I make so many mistakes. When I'm driven by God's grace and how he saved me in the death and the lengths he's went to to die on the cross for me, that substitutionary death where he hung on the cross for my filth and my sins to set me free from the very things that these teachers are trying to drag these believers back into. Paul's saying, no, stop the insanity. This isn't what Christ has called you to. And so when I'm set free in that now, I have this liberty to want to serve the Lord and please him through the way I live my life. Not through the rules that I feel like I need to keep in order to gain God's acceptance. 
don't know if, remember you, if many of you remember this. Very sad thing happened in 1982. It was a horrible thing. And some of you may have remembered this huge scare. It was when someone laced cyanide in, in Tylenol tablets, if you guys remember that, in the Chicago area. And actually, seven people died from that. And what was supposed to really help people actually poisoned them. And it was a horrific event that actually changed the whole consumer product industry to secure packaging and food and bottles. So we have all the security that we have now. That all comes back to 1982 because of what happened with the Tylenol bottles. It's a great illustration on how religion can do the exact same thing. Religion can actually poison us if we're not careful. See, when we try to attach religion to Jesus, which is supposed to set people free and, and, and bring healing in their lives, what we end up doing is we end up moving from one prison to actually the next prison. See, I, I, want, I want us to understand that, that it's, it's okay to laugh in church. It's, it's okay to laugh in church. See, what religion does is it focuses on rules, don't smile, don't laugh, can't have fun, uh, in which we can miss the relationship that God desires us to have with him and with others. By no means am I saying, does this give any legalization to sin and to live lives that, that, that God wouldn't desire us to live? See, the balance is not being supercilious or haughty or pompous or self-righteous. And, and lackadaisical to where we just become apathetic or lethargic towards God. There's, it, it, those are two extremes that we can run into. We can just be haughty and self-righteous, or we can just be real lackadaisical about our faith, and oh, I can just ask for forgiveness for tomorrow for my sin. That's trampling on God's grace. There's, if, if we feel like we can rightly sin before we know this is wrong and out of God's will and just say, well, I can ask for forgiveness in the morning. There's a disconnect with, with us understanding the grace and the length that Jesus actually went to to save us from those very sins. See, it's a hard thing, isn't it? It comes back to my heart. See, here's our hope at Living Word. Our hope at Living Word is everything is about Jesus. It, it's it's only through Jesus that we can find forgiveness and healing. See, our desire at Living Word is that you live holy lives, not because we have to, but because God has done everything for us. It's not that God has us in a headlock and says, you've got to follow all these things, right? See, we want to because of God's grace and mercy that he's poured out to us through his son, Jesus. See, when I understand that Jesus took on the wrath of God on the cross for me because of my sin, all that wrath should have been poured out towards me. There's God's mercy and there's God's justice. How many of, how many of us know that there had to be a penalty paid for our sin? We broke God's law. We sinned against him, the holy God of the universe. So God is merciful and he's He's just, and I want you to understand the cross. Jesus became our propitiation, which means he became our atonement. He took on all the wrath and our sin upon himself. If I so casually sin or don't think twice about it, then I'm not understanding Jesus' death and what he did for you and I. 
that should be a holy reverence and fear that should grip my heart. Not fearing that God's going to strike me down lightning every, every moment or every bad thing I think about. But there, there, there should be this holy reverence towards God for what Jesus Christ did for me and the lengths he went to to set me free from my sin. So what that creates in my heart is this wonderful, grateful heart of wanting to please the Lord now through my life. Not some, not some way of how I look and all the rules I keep to show. Because what did Jesus say? You could be doing all those things and your heart could be filthy, just like the Pharisees. I don't want to be that person. And I don't think you do either. But let's understand the lengths of which Jesus went through for us. So here's, here's the takeaway before we go to the Lord's table, take communion together. Here's the takeaway I want you to have today. Where would you see your life in Christ? Where, where would you see it today? Is it, is, it a, is, it, is it a prison of rules where you constantly are beating yourself up because you feel like you're not measuring up? See, Jesus said for those who were burdened by religion, he said, come to me, all you are heavy laden. Because all these people are trying to burden you with all these rules and you're not doing it right, you're not doing it well enough, and they were just burdened. And that's not why Jesus came to, to add more burdens onto our back. He said, Come to me because my burdens aren't like that. I'm going to carry them for you. I want to set you free from, from the burden of religion that man has placed on you. So is, are you in this prison of rules or are you in the freedom of his grace that has set you free? Is there a joy in your heart? You know, is there a joy in your heart? Are you happy and, and joyful to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ruth. Or are we just crusty, shriveled up, pruny Christians that are just mad at everything, right? That's not how God wants us to live. He wants us to live in the joy of the very thing that he set us free from. And that's the burden and the bondage of our old life and our sin. So, so where are you today? So as we, take, as we take communion today, I want us to come to the Lord's table of realizing what Jesus Christ has actually done for us. See, what Jesus said, he says, whenever you do this, whenever you take the bread and take the cup, you do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? Well, we're, we're remembering everything that Christ did for us. Because the word of God tells us that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. There had to be a sacrifice made. So Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for you and I through his own body, through his perfect body, because he was God. I want you to realize that when we take communion, it's a holy thing. It's a sacred thing. That we're recognizing these symbolic emblems that Jesus, you are everything. Free me from my religious spirit. Free me from my sin. Only you can do that. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Are, are you free today? Are you locked in a prison of your own religion? Jesus says, come to me and I will set you free. Put your faith in me and I will set you free. That's what I love. I just, I love listening to you just sing and worship. This morning was really good. Just seeing you lift your hands. And some people may wonder, why do you, why do you 
lift your hands. It's, it's, a, it's just a gesture of, God, I'm just thankful. I'm worshiping you, right? I, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for me. You're so good. You're so gracious. You're so loving. I don't deserve any of it, but you did it for me. I love that because if you, you know, we can be like, you know, but, but God says, no, no, I, you're free. You're not, people that are handcuffed can't worship. That was free. That was right from the Holy Spirit, by the way. That was a free one, right? And some of you may be handcuffed today because of your own religion. Jesus, I've come to set you free so you can lift up holy hands and worship me and thank me. So such a sweet spirit here during worship. I love it. I love it. I love it. So are you set free today? So as we come to the table today, let's recognize that our freedom is here. It's through Christ. And we're remembering what Jesus did for us through his body and his blood. So um, the ushers are going to come and uh, they're going to serve you. And just, just wait to the end. We'll take communion together. Uh, I'll pray and we'll take the emblems together. So just wait, just reflect and sing with the worship team as we reflect on the blood of Christ. So as the ushers prepare themselves, would you just bow your heads with me? Let's pray and let's just ask God's blessings on the elements today and this time as we take communion together. So let's bow our heads together. God, we thank you for what these emblems symbolize, the body and the blood of Christ that that was given for us. Because without the sacrifice, we couldn't find forgiveness or, or be made friends with God again. So we thank you. And as we, as we reflect and ponder and sing and reflect on what you did for us, God, we just come before you. And I pray for anyone here today that is not, just come to you and made that commitment to you. They can do it right there at their seats and just say, Jesus, I commit my life to you by faith. I believe in you and you change a heart. You save us. So God, we, we thank you for that. And so, Lord, as we just take these emblems, we just want to remember what you did for us. Cleanse our hearts. If there's any waywardness in our heart, any sin that we know, we confess that to you today. We want our hearts to be cleansed. We thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You do that, Jesus. So cleanse us individually and as a body today as we walk into this sacred moment of remembering what you did for us. Bind us together, Lord as the body of Christ through your precious blood. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Sing-